A reading from Judges. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ahud died. So the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jobin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth HaGoyim. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly 20 years. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came to her for judgment. She sent and subject Barak, summoned Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take position at Mount Tabor, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jebin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give them into your hand. The word of the Lord. A reading from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in darkness, for the day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light and children of day, and we are not of the night or of darkness. So then, let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober, for those who sleep at night and those who are drunk and get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build up each other, and indeed, you are doing the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven will be as when a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who'd received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who'd received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And then the one who'd received the five talents came forth, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest." So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, for there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. It's one of those things I love about the Episcopal liturgy. No matter how awful the gospel reading is, you have to say, praise to you, Lord Christ, right? Because, <laughs> um, wow, what a downer. Uh, maybe, we, maybe we sort of assume we're all the two or five talent people in the room, so that one talent guy got what he deserved, but not us. Um, honestly, uh, if we read the story at face value, it's a little bit worse than horrifying. Is that okay to say? Um, it's been very effective, I think, through the years to read it that way. Um, and, and, and of course, um, you can see why, because, you know, God has given us talents. Some of us are fast runners, and some of us are smart. Some of us like painting. And uh, some of us are good at everything, apparently. And we're supposed to uh, reap benefits for God, who's an absentee, Uh, owner of us uh, human slaves. So while God's gone on the trip, we had better be using our talents to make more. I'm not sure how that works, but we should make more. And if we don't do it right, we'll be bound up and thrown into hell. That's how it reads, isn't it? That's how it reads. I'm going to tell you, um, whew, um, I have a hard time not reading the story that way because, you know, uh, when you struggle with things like perfectionism, um, it's really hard to know whether you're getting the right return on talents or not. Um, There's a problem with the reading, I want to say, while that might be compelling for us to read that way, a number of problems. First, is is God an absentee slave owner? Are we slaves that belong to God as, as shadow and property? and God's not around. I say that's a problem, but quite frankly, most of us believe that most of the time. Anybody ever felt like God was not present with you on a long trip? I felt like that this week, friends. (laughs) The story's grabbing that way, right? When are you going to come back, God, and what are you going to come back to do? Settle up with me? See, we, we, we live that bad story whether we, whether we like to or not, right? Then there's talents, you know, and what are those? Are those things, I mean, in the story it's money, but we don't think about it as money so much. We do think of it as abilities, don't we? And, and how do you invest abilities and get more abilities? 
usually you just get better at the ones you already had, maybe, but, but, or, or worse. But, but um, wow, doubling them back, that's tough. And, and then there's this poor, this poor uh, servant who, who gives everything back. You know, he doesn't generate anything. And uh, he's thrown into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And because he wasn't a faithful steward. I mean, I guess we should have done this two or three weeks ago when the pledge cards were still out. <laughs> you know, might have been a more effective uh, pledge, pledge drive if we'd mentioned this story. Um, I want to suggest to you that we could read this at face value and hear that very chilling thing that says those who have stuff already get more and those who barely have stuff lose even what they had. I mean, we could, we could choose to live like that, but the rest of the liturgy fights it. You know, the rest of what we do in church fights that understanding of the parable. We just heard this reading from uh, 1 Thessalonians that, that fights the reading. <laughs> God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to suggest to you that actually Jesus might be telling this story not as a way of telling us how the kingdom of God is, but how we actually often act like the kingdom of God is and giving us an opportunity to reconsider how we behave and how we treat the kingdom of God. Because I want to tell you, friends, that if this reading is right, the rest of the liturgy is wrong, and, and, and I don't think that's the case. I wonder if Jesus isn't instead telling a parable that asks us to really um, consider whether the servant, frankly, has misunderstood the master from the beginning and has already spent his life where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whether or not the servant believes fundamentally that God is harsh, the master is harsh, the master is absentee the master is cruel and if that life isn't one already a life that is bound up where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth this is a strange thing that i've come to see um you know i'm one of those folks um who when i hear criticism i somehow think i can work harder i can work harder i can do better you know those people um, it, it can get a little obsessive. <laughs> but I have met people unlike me and really had to reconsider this. There are some people who struggle so much with their self-worth and with um, the reality of the world that criticism, rather than motivating them to change, confirms what they were, were already so afraid of. And instead of, it's again, instead of bringing any new change, it's paralyzing. Do you know of any of those people? I wonder if the story isn't trying to invite us to consider that we can live paralyzed by our faith or we can consider when faith is paralyzing if in fact we're making the right investments in our faith life. There are a lot of things the story doesn't answer that I wish it did. I wish there was at least a fourth slave, one that was given one or two or 17 talents, doesn't matter, and lost them all. <laughs> I want to know how the master would have treated the slave that did something and lost. The read I get, actually, I mean, the question in my mind is if the guy with the one had risked it and lost, that actually would have been all right. 
And I'll tell you why, because a talent is not an ability, it's a quantity of money. So at the time of the Bible, a talent is 60 pounds of gold. 60 pounds of gold. So if I do the calculus right now, if you play the commodities market, you know this better than I do, but an ounce of gold is like twelve to $1,500. Is that right? Twelve to fifteen? anybody? If that's right, then a talent is worth about a million dollars. So think through how crazy the story is. There's a guy that gives slaves multiple millions of dollars to invest. Slaves. <laughs> Which tells you either this, this person uh, has terrible financial sense, right? Giving slaves $5 million to invest or unlimited resources. So according to the slave's ability, and again, how do you prove investment ability when you're a slave? According to their perceived ability, one gets $5 million, another gets $2 million, and the third gets a million dollars. 60 pounds of gold. I don't know if that was in one nugget. <laughs> I hope so. That would be neat, right? A 60-pound nugget of gold. Um, gives that money and then goes. And, and one person is utterly paralyzed with the gift, with the investment, with not the harshness of the master, but the trust of the master. See, if the master were so harsh and cruel and calculating, he would have already known not to give a million dollars to a guy that's going to bury it in a hole. Right? I mean, that's how I read the story. And it makes me wonder, again, if the slave has misunderstood his master from the get-go, the slave trusts that he can do something. The slave trusts that doing, the master trusts that doing something is what matters. Something instead of nothing. If he's got $5 million to give the slaves He's got to have a whole lot more money around, you know, so he could take the loss of a million or five million. Makes me wonder if Jesus isn't inviting us to consider the kinds of investments God has already made into our lives. Investments. We could read it as talents like, oh, you know, I'm a good speller. I, I actually am a really good speller. I want you to know. <laughs> um, how I'm going to give God a return on my spelling ability is, remains to be seen. Um, and I, I will say that God has not given me a nugget of gold yet that I'm aware of to invest in the commodities market and make 100% profit. No, I think, uh, and I don't think I'm being too superficial with this reading or spiritual with it to consider that God has already made all kinds of investments in our lives, investments of grace, investments of presence, investments that we often, whew, we don't even notice because we're looking at the other ones. Or we're saying, God, you know, uh, I'm not really worthy of those multi-million dollar grace investments. You ever felt like that? 
I felt like that this week, by the way, right? Not worthy of those grace investments that you put in my life. So I wonder if God isn't, if Jesus isn't telling this parable as a way of us to reconsider actually how invested in us God already is, even when we're bad stewards. That God's grace in our lives is not dependent upon our stewardship of it. It's dependent on God's generosity. Then I wonder if the story isn't inviting us, unlike this person who was paralyzed by a fear in God, to actually paralyze the fear that we have about God. Friends, I just didn't think God's like this at all. I didn't think God takes from people who have little and gives more to people who already have stuff. I didn't think God goes to people who are paralyzed by fear and says, you were right to be paralyzed, and now the punishment will be even worse than you'd ever feared. Now, I think this is an anti-parable, and I think it reminds us that in moments of paralysis in our faith, we might be worshiping the wrong God. (laughs) In moments of paralysis with our investments of grace in the world, we need to consider a new investment strategy. (laughs) One in which we don't just try to hem and protect the grace and care and love that God has put into us already, but we need to consider risking it to enrich the world we live in. I wonder if this isn't a story about what our faith portfolio looks like and whether we're content to sit on it And and if I can say this as an aside, it's funny that having grown up this way where I read this story literally and was afraid God was going to throw me into hell, I mean, I was afraid of that most of my religious life. And somehow I guarded that investment. It's crazy when you think about it, isn't it? That I would guard that investment, but I guarded it tooth and nail. I grew up hearing that when I died, God would show all the sins of my life on a big movie screen in heaven, and everybody, including my dear grandmother, who would be so embarrassed by my picking my nose in church, she would see that. And then everything would be even worse than it had been the first time around. But friends, I just don't think that's what God's like. I think that's what I'm like. And I think the story is saying, don't keep being like you. Be like God, who richly invests grace and hope and love in people because there's plenty of it to go around. That's where I think that reading comes in in Judges. This is a lady named Deborah. She's a prophet. And you know, as as backward and patriarchal as the Hebrew Bible often is, what's great about the Hebrew Bible is that there are people who break all the rules. Here's a woman who's a prophet who thought that was allowed back then. She was. And she says to the general of the army, hey, God says, go and take a little risk here. (laughs) Go meet the opposing force and you'll win. So just go on, shoo. And uh, we don't get to read the rest of the story. This is the hard thing about the lectionary is it presumes you know the rest of the story. Um, if you haven't read the book of Judges, I'll fill you in. The, the general says, no, I'm not going to go do that unless you come. Because if you come with me, then your life would be at stake like mine, right? And that would be backing the investment you're asking me to make. So risk your life with mine and I'll go. 
And the lady says, okay, I will go with you and I'll lead the army into battle like you want me to do, but just make sure you know that you won't get the recognition for winning the battle. A lady will, and, and not me. Uh, a lady who's willing to make a silly investment, a lady in a tent right now, is going to drive a peg through the opposing general's brain. And, and she'll get the glory for just that little investment. Now, I know that's all weird, and that sounds really violent. Um, it's, it's interesting, though, right? But it's a story about somebody who's willing to make an investment. She's willing to put herself out there. She dares to speak to a community who in general won't listen to her because she's a woman. And that does not stop her from caring about them and from trying. It's interesting that the, that the general, General Barak, um, He's just worried about making these risks. Even if God's backing the risks, he's still worried. In some ways, that's nice because that means there's hope for us, right? I mean, you know, if, if, if God's willing to give us backing in these risks, then, then there's hope, right? That, that, that we might follow God too. Um, that's sort of nice. And this is a story, right, about a big risk. It's a story about taking an army and potentially being annihilated. But you know, friends, I don't know that any of us are in the position to be doing that. I wonder, though, if we aren't in the position to make some small risks. And I wonder if we don't more often say, well, you know, it's either give everything or give nothing, so of course I choose the more practical and I lower my investment because I've got to protect my family and things. Family, this week, small investments. If your family's like mine... <laughs> This will be an interesting week. Um, it is said lovely Thanksgiving until um, some of those family members I'm distantly related to come to the table. And um, I don't know why they thought they should come to the Thanksgiving meal. I mean, we are related. But uh, after that stuff that happened 14 years ago with Aunt Flo, um, <laughs> wow, got a lot of nerve coming to the table. So here's how I do risk management at Thanksgiving dinner. I quickly get up and I do dishes. Because after all, it's commendable to serve other people, isn't it? That good boy, look at him in there doing the dishes. Really, that's my escape strategy. <laughs> Get away from the discomfort of the table by working. Anybody else do that? You don't have to raise your hand. It's a safe investment, let me tell you. And if I were going to be really honest with you, it's not even my extended family. It's my nuclear family, where I often look at another member and I think, like, can we do the dishes, <laughs> please? I wonder if God isn't asking us, even this week, to just make a little investment and stay seated at a table with people we think didn't belong there. I wonder if God isn't asking us to risk investing a little bit more grace and peace and patience and kindness and love in the lives of people we're related to this year. The truth is, I think if we can't make that investment, how much harder is it to invest grace and love and peace in the lives of people who are on TV whom we don't even know and often are scary? You know? People on TV ever scare you? <laughs> they scare me. Um, sometimes I lie to myself and say, that scary person on TV is much safer than my brother. 
<laughs> no, I think, I think, though, that this bit about stewardship is, golly, we're just so afraid about making sinking investments. We're so afraid that so-and-so in our family or at our Thanksgiving table, they may not even appreciate the patience we put into their lives. You know, we might stay, try really hard to be civil at Thanksgiving, and they may not even be grateful for it at all. And isn't that the point? We didn't do it for them. We did it because God does that for us. Actually, we did do it for them. <laughs> Just like God does it for us. We do it, you see, because it's not about whether the investment's going to come back. I think the parable is asking us, are we willing to invest at all? Well, I don't know, Mike, if I'm willing to do it. And this is why I think it's the spirit of thanksgiving, right? This is a good parable for the week to think about the investments God's already made in you. Whether you deserve them or earn them or turn them back to God or not, to stop and say, wow, even in that moment of pain, God, I trust you were there. Thanks for making that investment in my life. And if God will invest so graciously and profligately in the world, maybe we could sit down at the table this week and make a micro-investment in our family. And then maybe next week we'd be ready to do another one. And by the end of our faith journey, maybe we'd be ready to invest grace and peace in our world. And to do it not expecting any kind of 100% return, but to do it because with God, it's enjoyable to invest grace and hope and peace in the lives of others, whatever they decide to do with it. Make a good investment this week. <laughs>